Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide.
one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm Ryan Howard, I'm your host and king of the boneheads, and tonight we are reviewing the latest from Planet X Games. This Kickstarter has, uh, you know, been doing fulfillment for uh, physical backers. It is going to be available soon for people to purchase if it's not already available. I am, of course, talking about Escape from Skullcano Island. And uh, this thing is cool. This is this is a really cool book. Um, and we're going to go through it because in all the same ways that this is typical Planet X, exactly what you can expect from, you know, what Levi Combs delivers... This is also something that I feel pretty much anyone could bring to their table, quite honestly. Um, this is the closest I've read from Levi. Uh, now, I've not read Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, uh, so keep that in mind. But when you compare this with Occurrence at Howling Crater, this is something that you could very much run for almost any table, in my opinion. Uh, whereas, you know... Uh, Escape from or Occurrence at Howling Crater is very much if you have a group that likes stuff like that, it's it's a great game for that. Um, but this game or this module rather is awesome, and I feel is is great for really any any table, uh, assuming that you guys uh, are wanting to do kind of epic level play. Uh, but we will get into that here in just a little bit. Uh, before we do, uh, real quick, just uh, wanted to tell everyone hello. Uh, introduce, <laughs> just uh, just kind of decompress a little bit before we get into the the bulk of this interview or not interview review. I've only had half a glass of whiskey, uh, just FYI. So I'm not drunk. I've just had a long day, and it's the Monday after. Daylight savings time, when the government steals an hour of your sleep. So, yeah, there's that. Don't know why we're still doing that, but we are. So, here we are. <sighs> Daylight savings time. My favorite. But yes, for anyone wondering what I'm drinking this evening, uh, I just, I'll go ahead and tell you guys, because they're, they're a local uh, distillery, and I like what I'm drinking so far. Uh, this is... Triple Smoke from Corsair, which is local here to Nashville. Um, very smoky, uh, very, like, predominantly smoke is what is what you taste in this. 
Um, their website mentions kind of notes of cherry. I can definitely feel that. Um, but yeah, this is like, if you like smoke and sweet mixed together, um, that's, that's what you have here. It is very, very good. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm drinking this evening. Hope you guys are enjoying that. I also just wanted to let everyone know before we get started here, uh, that this Saturday morning we will be doing a painting stream. And this time, uh, my camera is not going to suck. My camera is going to be a lot better because thanks to my, uh, my lovely wife, Elfie, I now have the ability to use this thing, my, uh, my Handycam, for a painting stream. I have uh, Elgato Cam Link is what I got. Um, Elfie, Elfie got it for me. And it is a... Uh, it, basically, it, there's an HDMI port back here that allows you to, uh, to plug in a camera uh, so that, you know, you, I don't have to use the webcam, basically, is what it's for. Anyone who's actually familiar with this already is already like, we know what it is. But, you know, basically, it allows me to use a camera that has, like, decent focus and is meant for, you know, showing detail and stuff like that. Uh, this is hardly a potato camera that I that I have here. It's a it's a decent uh, high definition camera that I'm speaking into right now. Uh, but for anything detail oriented, any kind of unboxing or painting stream, this is going to be uh, the the golden ticket, really. So it's good that I can now use this instead of having to rely exclusively on this webcam. It'll make things a lot better for you guys as viewers. And it will ensure that I have decent quality uh, video footage that I can then put on YouTube. So yeah, I'm excited about that. And of course, uh, you know, we, we celebrated this weekend. Uh, the anniversary is actually tomorrow, but I do, real quick, just want to say happy second anniversary to Elfie, uh, my lovely wife. We, we are married... Two years uh, come tomorrow, and so, you know, she's on here. Elfie, thank you very much for sticking with me and putting up with all my nonsense for the past couple years. Especially all my nonsense today, because there's a lot of nonsense today. So... With that said, let's go ahead and move forward to the actual review and talk a little bit about Escape from Skullcano Island. So let's move on over to screen share. Alrighty. Escape from Skullcano Island. As you can see from this cover, you pretty much already know what you're in store for here. Uh, the, the same way that uh, Occurrence at Howling Crater is a love letter to The Hills Have Eyes and, like, you know, crashed UFO movies and stuff like that. This is all about the kaiju. Uh, 
This book is fully dedicated to basically like Skull Island from King Kong. Uh, you know, all of those classic Japanese monster movies. That's that's the main uh the main focus of this kind of wrapped in the cloak of Dungeons and Dragons. Now I say that uh because, you know, you you can see the influences right there. You can see the two-headed ape fighting the giant worm. Uh, you know, that that tells you you're in for a monster movie experience, basically. But I will say, for those of you who, you know, aren't necessarily into uh, kaiju movies, uh, for, for one reason or another, you know, they're, they're old, they're weird, they're not in English, and they're very poorly dubbed. I'm sorry, I am being very indecisive when it comes to where this camera should go. Yeah. This is not, it's not Godzilla the role-playing game. Um, it's, it's honestly a very cool, uh, hex crawl type experience, although it's not a pure hex crawl. Um, you can run it like one. Thank you. Thank you, Elfie. My camera is now centered. And once you find your center, you're sure to win. So, you know, th this is a fantastic uh, example of, you know, like, it, here's an open area that you guys can explore. This and Neverland are honestly kind of the best examples of this that I've encountered uh, so far. And a quick note on the adventure itself. As I mentioned, uh, this is designed with epic level play in mind. So... Uh, what I mean by that, the, the book itself says that this is designed for Tier 4 players, uh, that, and it can be scaled back to Tier 3. So, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with 5e tiers, uh, what that means is it's designed with players from level 17 to 20 in mind. But it can be scaled back and run, for the most part, pretty well for players from level 11 to 16. And why this is great, in my opinion, uh, you, you may notice, those of you who kind of follow you know, the official releases from Wizards of the Coast, anything beyond 15th level at most is pretty much ignored. Um... The expectation that Wizard seems to have and that a lot of people online seem to have is that your campaign will start at level 1, maybe level 3, because starting at level 1 you can feel like a, a wimp for extended periods of time if you're not careful. Um, the, the expectation is you're either going to start at level 1 or level 3, and you're probably going to be able to keep everyone's interest up till about level 10 to 15. Just depending on how far you want to go. And that is a completely reasonable expectation. A lot of people don't get the chance to run campaigns that go from level 1 to 20. It's extremely rare. I've done it twice 
And that is a minor miracle. I did it twice with the same group. Now, I was in college, and they were all in the area. No one was going anywhere. So we were able to make that work. It was, you know, like lightning striking twice. Uh, just the perfect mixture of environments, basically, that, that allowed us to take not one but two campaigns from level one to level 20. Uh, so that is a rarity. This does, however, kind of leave a big blank space over here where, you know, if someone says, I want to do something crazy and start my campaign at level 10 and see if we can go, uh, you know, further, see if we can go from 10 to 20. Or, you know, I want to start at level 15 and run a campaign to 20 if you want to do a shorter one. You know, I want to do something with super powerful characters. Unfortunately... Uh, base D&D is really not designed with that in mind. Once you get to about level 15, uh, everything in the monster manual as written is pretty much a walk in the park. You can still... You, you can play around with things. If you use strategy well, you can make fights challenging, but for the most part, it's very difficult to present players that are level 15 and beyond with a significant challenge in the officially printed material. And in uh, the adventures themselves, there just isn't anything except Horde of the Dragon Queen. And whether or not you like that is, you know, it, it seems to vary from person to person. It's not a terrible adventure, but people don't really rave about it that much. So... Keep that in mind. So, I will immediately give this game props for providing players who want to go past uh, the kind of that level 10 to level 15 area something to do and something awesome to do. You could, you can cap off your campaign with something like this. You can have everything build up to. The Doomsayers on Skullcano Island are wrecking havoc, and uh, the players need to stop it. So, uh, yeah, with that in mind, let's just go ahead and dig right in here and talk a little bit about this thing. I'm going to zoom in a little bit so it's easier for you guys at home to see, especially you people who are watching this on mobile devices. Let's zoom in a little bit here. So... Right off the bat, that cover is awesome. I will zoom out so that you guys can take it in just all at once here. That is a thing of beauty. Uh, Levi actually shared that with me uh, while the game was still being developed. And yeah, that that's a beautiful piece of art. So yeah, let's, uh, let's zoom back in here a little bit. Move on down. We have another great piece of art. This is actually, this image is the back cover image. If you have a physical copy of the book, you can see the back cover and see like a colorized version of this image. But yeah, that's... More of what you're in store for. In fact, this shows off a little bit more as far as the cultist element 
as well as the kaiju. Because there is more to this adventure than just the kaiju. So, moving on, of course, Levi Combs wrote and designed this. Um, those two great pieces of art were done by Adrian Landeros. Um, fantastic artist. If you, you know, love all of the, uh, all the stuff that Levi puts out, you've seen, you've absolutely seen, uh, Adrian's work. He, he's he's very good. He's very, very good. And you see a couple of uh, familiar names here. Adrian, Casey Christofferson, Ed Bickford, who will be on the show in April. Uh, just just a, a teaser there. Carl Sternberg is back for the uh, cartography. Uh, Skull Fungus on Instagram if you uh, want to see more of his stuff because he does some really cool work. And yeah, this is, uh, oh, hello. <laughs> All right. That's, that's my name. I got special thanks. Um, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Honestly, I did, I did not, I didn't know that happened. I don't know... Like, this is not a list of Kickstarter backers. These guys all back this on Kickstarter. Uh, I'm sure. I'm, I think somewhere in here there's a list of Kickstarter backers or something like that. But that, that... A lot of these people are people who kind of helped out with... Uh, with, you know, promoting... Levi's work and, and talking about it and stuff like that, obviously, and, you know, helping him get stuff published. That's where stuff, that's where people like Zach Glazer and Skeeter Green come in. Um, you know, Stu Horvath and John McGuire, obviously Vintage RPG, they did a whole advertising campaign for him. And, and there's my name amongst those legends. Um, I'm not going to dwell on that for too long. Uh, I don't want that to be what this episode turns into, but uh, Levi, thank you. Um, thank you. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Uh, wow. Okay. I guess now I have to say, keep, bear in mind that I am listed in the special thanks uh, of this book. Uh, take that for, for what you will. Um, when it comes to interpreting my review of this, I will be impartial, but, you know, disclosing, disclosing biases here. Yes, I am thanked in this book and I backed it on Kickstarter. So there, there we go. All right. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> Table of contents. There's my name. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, table of contents. Um, and here we get into some of the uh, just introduction to the adventure. Uh, you're, you're looking at a game designed for four to six players of tier three or four, uh, which you can see down here. 
obviously. And uh, just to set the mood here, because I love doing stuff like this. Giant monsters, summoned from the depths of the unknown. Horrific hell creatures to menace all of mankind. They walk. They kill. Called forth by an apocalyptic doomsday cult. It's a thunderous thrill ride of terrible, tremendous titans. Do your players dare face these rampaging beasts as they relentlessly rage and run rampant through a lost world? Dun, dun, dun. Cool. That's the kind of awesome environment that you see, uh, you know, Levi set up in, in these books. And what we have here is a little bit of background. You know, there's there's a whole uh, explanation here of, you know, the events leading up to this, uh, you know, all kinds of bad omens and, and ominous signs have been seen throughout the land. A lot of that's outlined within the book itself. Um, but basically, there's this uncharted, abandoned scary legendary island out in the ocean called Skullcano Island because it has a skull-shaped volcano on it. Um, all kinds of craziness has happened in this... On this island, there are these cults that worship these giant kaiju. Um, basically, they're... they're Trying to bring about the apocalypse from this island is, is kind of the main hook of what's going on. There's this cult trying to basically call forth the horsemen and, and unleash these kaiju upon the world and destroy everything. And your band of legendary heroes has to go there and stop it. So here you have a couple of uh, hooks. Just as far as like ways to get your uh, your players involved, um, you know, here there be monsters. Just you know, a, a legend. You know, your, your players have heard about this Skullcano Island. Um, you could slap this on a map and be like, "There's Skullcano Island over there." You know why it's called that? You know all these stories about it, and you know, at, at some point, your players are going to be like, "I want to go to the place with the skull volcano." That's a good way to hook players, in, in my experience. Uh, you could also maroon your players there if you have a particularly uh, waterbound campaign. Uh, some players are very cautious about getting on the boat, though. Uh, that's kind of a... Uh, that's kind of a known thing in D&D. I remember uh, Spoonie, not, uh, not Namira's... Uh, Guy Friday Spoonie, but Spoonie Spoonie of uh, that guy with the glasses fame. He did a whole video called Never Get on the Boat in his Counter Monkey series. Give me one second. I can't hear myself in my own headphones, so sometimes it feels like I'm deaf. <laughs> anyway, sometimes it bothers me, sometimes it doesn't. Let me make sure my hair's okay here. But 
Suffice it to say, Spoonie, not the Spoonie Sage, but Spoonie, Noah Antweiler, his his real name is known, um, he did a whole video called Never Get on the Boat, talking about um, reasons why you as D&D players should be cautious of your uh, DM encouraging you to get on a boat, because there's this whole section of the monster manual that is never ever relevant unless there's a body of water uh because if you put some of these things on land they're just completely useless but if you can get your players on a boat you can throw a friggin kraken or dragon turtle or whatever at your players and then they have to deal with it so yeah unless you're running like ghosts of salt marsh which, you know, come to think of it, let's let's actually see if there's some synergy here real quick before I move on. Let's look up Ghosts of Salt Marsh. And see what tier this is. Okay. So, um, you can, in theory, in fact, you know, if your players are in it for the long haul... Uh, Salt Marsh is for levels 1 through 12. So, in theory, you can take Ghosts of Salt Marsh, uh, you know, run through all of that, and then take your players to Skullcano Island for kind of the, the rest of the adventure. If you want to do, like, two modules. And, yes, Elfie, I lost my curl, unfortunately. It'll probably come back over the course of me moving my head around and being wild because for some reason I'm a spaz tonight. But, anyway. That's one way that you can get your players onto Skullcano Island is to shipwreck them there. Uh, there's also, you know, the whole omens thing. Um... You know, skies are turning blood red, swarms of vermin. There's this character who appears on the mainland who's like the Pied Piper, but more sinister. We'll get to him in just a second. You know, all of this can happen and lead the players back to Skullcano Island. Or, you know, if nothing else, a king advised by his, you know, courtly mages uh, will... You know, be advised that the apocalypse is nigh, and, you know, the king, in anticipation of, you know, this coming apocalypse, will say, I need the mightiest warriors to go to this island and kill all of these powerful titans that are going to destroy everything. So... Moving on from there, there are, of course, you know, th there's a nice table here of rumors uh, where your players, when you mention Skullcano Island, your players can roll a history check, DC 15, and if they, um, if they succeed, you can roll a D100 and, or just pick from this table here uh, to see some of the rumors that, that people hear. Uh, everything from... A few weeks ago, the pirate ship, the Wyvern's Tail, strayed too close to the island and was literally plucked from the waves by a single giant claw that rose from the depths. 
The ship and its, and its entire crew were pulled beneath the sea and never seen again. Uh, you know, strange weather and tidings of doom are being reported all over the land. Skies turning red. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. It doesn't say that, but, you know, the Ghostbusters reference is right there. Um, there's all kinds of crazy stuff here as far as, you know, rumors and things that your players could have heard of. And... Getting into here, there's this is kind of the main setup of how to get your players on the island if you're not just going to ship them there. Um, the first way to do this is using a character called the Fiddler, who you can see down here. Um, and basically, the Fiddler is like a tall, gaunt, skeletal man with a fiddle. Uh, which in classic From Dusk Till Dawn style is a human corpse, this time a skeleton. And this fiddler is going from town to town, um, basically brainwashing masses. And as he goes, just this horde of mindless zombie-like people who are overwhelmed with visions of apocalyptic doom are following him uh you know starting fights destroying things and so your players can literally encounter just a string of villages burned to the ground by the fiddler going through them so there's all kinds of different ways you can hook your players into investigating the fiddler uh if they run into the fiddler he has three D100 plus 100 uh, commoners following him. So, you know, commoners don't have many hit points, but just to kind of put that into perspective, if you'll allow me just a second, uh, I will do so for you. Grab my secondary dice bag here, and let's grab three D100s, uh, which is actually... Six. I'm just going to roll this uh, three times. Whew. 81. I need to keep track of this somehow. Let me pull up the uh, calculator here. Because math was never my strong suit. Thank you, Velvet Calhoun of Southlake Christian Academy Kindergarten. 54 for the second roll. 17 for the third roll. Got off easy this time. So that's 152 plus 100. So 252 commoners. They only have like a couple of hit points each. But there's 252 of them. And they all want to murder you. But they're also all mind-controlled. So, lawful good characters. You, uh, you know, your paladin is, uh... <laughs> your paladin is contemplating what to do about this. Uh, he's gonna have some conflicts when it comes to dealing with this. Because you can't just cut down... 
252 mind-controlled people. Uh, the Fiddler is not inclined to fight. Um, he will, like, he'll basically try to escape at the, uh, immediately. Um, he'll go back to Skullcano Island and you can run into him there. If you destroy him, his body disintegrates and the Doomsayer's fiddle, uh, which is his fiddle, remains behind. His stats are later on in the book. Uh, so we can we can take a look at that at, towards the end. But once the people are free from his mind control, um, they, they remember the visions that they were seeing. And it's basically just, you know, destruction, carnage, Ragnarok, uh, Gehenna, whatever you want to call it. And then from here, you go to the second encounter. You can do one or both of these, depending on how much information about the island you want to give to your players. Um, and so at this point, they meet with, or they're they're kind of on the course to meet with Ornthalus of the Seven and One Omens, who is a an oracle, a seer, um, and he kind of gives them a vision of what the island looks like. Uh, there's a couple different ways that you can kind of you know run into him. Uh, you can be summoned to his tower. Um, you could find him in a tavern or something like that. It, it's really up to you, the game master, how you want Ornthalus to approach the players. But uh, he has psychic visions. Uh, you roll 1d2. So he's either going to give kind of like one or two visions of what this thing looks like, which include, uh, you know, you're going to directly confront these doomsayers of Croc Fool, who are kind of the main antagonist of this adventure. Um... You may get a uh, you may get a vision of the ancient folk of uh, the Nachtoth, who revered the island as a living god, and uh, you know served as worshippers and caretakers. Uh, a, they a group splintered off from them, known as the Krakthul. They were exiled, and they've returned now, uh, basically to bring about the apocalypse. So the Noctoth are still there, but so are the Doomsayers of Krakthul. And they, it's their goal to, you know, bring about the apocalypse. I don't know why I tripped up over that one. But yeah, there's, he's got ten different things here. Um... There's something. There, there's an item here listed called the Memory Draught. There's a lots of lots of crazy cool magic items here. Um, uh, 
If you drink it, you have to make a constitution saving throw or take 2d6 poison damage. Um, if you fail or if you fail and survive or if you pass, um, you're given potent visions uh, which deal one point of temporary wisdom damage, but bestow a mixture of known facts and secrets about specific subjects. So you lose points of wisdom temporarily, but you do get to uh, like see some of these stuff in kind of an acid trip way. And as always, uh, you know, Levi talks about some of his influences and, and gives people who are new to this kind of world uh, kind of a shorthand for, you know, what he's talking about. He, you know, of course, mentions Grindhouse style, uh, talks about, talks a little bit about what kaiju are, um, talks about ley lines, nexus points of magic, uh, explains in very, kind of very briefly, the Lost World subgenre of fantasy um you know stuff like the island of dr moreau which a lot of this is pulled from um and also explains uh tokusatsu uh again japanese for special effects uh which is where the that's the japanese genre that kaiju movies fall into so yeah if anyone from unfamiliar with this particular genre that's you know this is kind of your shorthand that levi uses to explain what's going on what he's talking about here so he also has a he always has you know crazy weird cool mechanics that he throws in there um related specifically to this and so this time it's five color kaiju vision uh and as always, this is optional. So if you're wanting to make this, you know, a monster movie, basically, you can do stuff like, um, basically, anytime the main characters use magical means to understand the native language, it, it looks like dubbed, like the Godzilla movies, um... Giant monsters are constantly trying to stomp things. Uh, characters transforming. It looks, instead of, you know, like a giant monster, it looks like a dude in a rubber suit. You can... This is the kind of stuff that, you know, people who love the genre films that Levi kind of, you know, pays homage to with these adventures... If you if you want to commit to that and go full on to the hilt with it, uh, this is kind of your guide to how to do that with this adventure. Uh, but if you don't, and you know, being someone who appreciates the Godzilla movies, but you know, I, I'm not a fan. I don't have anything against Godzilla or anything like that. I just you know didn't grow up watching the movies, haven't seen many of them. Uh, it's it's not my thing, per se. Not to say it couldn't be my thing, um, but, you know, I don't watch a lot of kaiju movies. Someone like me would probably go, okay, I'll take a couple of these things. I like that whenever 
a kaiju is summoned, uh, the sky turns red. That's that's a cool touch because it lets the players know something bad's coming. <clears throat> now, giant creatures all over the place. Of course. Awesome. Yeah. All for it. But the dubbing thing and the rubber suit thing probably won't make their way into my version of Escape from Skullcano Island. But if you want to do it, then, you know, it's it's there. It's, it's, it's codified here for you, if that's something you want to do. And then here, um, you know, talking about high-level play... Um, there's all kinds of crazy, weird things that you can do at high level. Uh, and and Levi's basically talking about, you know, don't punish players for being creative. Let them do all kinds of crazy stuff. Because uh, there's all kinds of craziness that you can pull out at this level of play. Um, you know, let scenarios play out. Don't try to, you know... If the players seem like they're going to get their butt kicked by... A giant monster just let it go let it see where it goes um you know the the island um he says that here the island is a real bitch which you can see basically if your players are running through things and killing everything in sight it's okay to you know turn up the volume on them uh you know character death is okay and you know this is a uh this is a sandbox game, basically. So, here we go. Uh, the island itself. Uh, we're, we're pretty far into this review here without having talked about the island. My fault. But, you know, here's the map. Here's uh, Carl Sternberg's map of Skullcano Island. And all of this is explained. Uh, there aren't hexes, unfortunately. For those of you who like hexes, they aren't there, but you can overlay hexes or, you know, do whatever you want to make this a quote-unquote hex crawl. Because, again, this isn't a pure uh, hex crawl. And then here, um, this is just kind of a primer, a background on what happened in Skullcano Island. The Noctoth. Um, You know, they came, the, the Krakthul splintered off, the Noctoth disappeared, and then uh, a raw... Um, a dimension-traveling wizard named Ng. I think that's how you pronounce that. Ng. I don't know. But he shows up. Um... And no one's really sure how long he's there, but you can, like, you find his tower. His tower is one of the many dungeons you can go through here. Um, he built a tower, and at some point he disappeared. Um, which I'm sure is revealed within the crumbling tower of Ng. And so, you know, the current age... Tells about, you know, where the status of this island is legend. And then the environment tells you about kind of what to expect. It's a rainforest. Uh, the jungle's overgrown. 
Uh, you know, the beach is kind of rocky at points. Uh, there's lots of steep cliffs and deep ravines. Uh, old stone structures, uh, which are the remnants of the remnants of the Noctoth. Um So yeah, it's it's kind of like the island in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest is kind of what you're dealing with here, but with kaiju because you know kaiju. And this explains a little bit about uh, some of the characteristics here. Conjuration magic is enhanced. Cantrips are cast at the next highest level. Spells are cast if using one spell slot higher. Uh, so that's any conjuration, basically. Acid splash. Uh, cast at fifth level. Uh, would be cast at like 11th level. Um... So yeah, I mean, this is kind of up to you as the DM to pick kind of, you know, how, how crazy things go as far as conjuration. Um, teleportation spells have a 10% chance to misfire, uh, resulting in the creatures being teleported directly into magma or solid stone. And then divination magic behaves erratically on Skullcano Island. Uh, you have a 25% chance of delivering a psychic backlash to the caster. So if your uh, if someone at your table brings the uh, what what Muhammad called the luck fucker, uh, apologies for the language there. That's just the name that he used, uh, which was a 20th level uh, divination wizard halfling, who I believe took the lucky feat as well. Uh, so basically, you control every single role on the board. If you want to mess with that player, take him to Skullcano Island. And, uh, you know, if you roll uh, 25 or lower on a D100, then uh, DC 18 intelligence saving throw, or they take 4D10 psychic damage, half on a successful save. And if they die from this, their essence is absorbed by the island, and they become one with the Noctoth in the place beyond the veil. And only a wish spell or divine intervention can bring the character back. So, yeah. You got a divination wizard that's being a real pain in your ass. Skullcano Island. And then from here, uh, we get into an explanation of the kaiju themselves. Um, so there's there's all kinds of evidence that you can see from like kaiju passing by, uh, the ground rumbling, giant bones of a beast that it ate. Um, Giant scales dropped uh, between two trees. Giant footprints. Uh, charred mountainsides. Uh, a terrible smell. All kinds of stuff. And so from here we get into the kaiju themselves. Uh, so first of all you have the Black Doom. Uh, which is basically... The Venom symbiote meets a black pudding. Um, it's held in stasis by the Doomgyre. 
and it's uh, oily and black as pitch. It's in the center of the island. Uh, it's a great sea of corrosive death. And so it's not around, uh, but it can always it can always be brought back by the doom gyre, or if you go to the center. It doesn't really have much bearing on the plot. Um, it can just be a thing to, to mess with your players. And then you have the Galloman, or the, sorry, the Gallomaw, the Serpent of the End of Days. It is nearing hibernation. And it is coiled deep beneath the ground at the northern end of the island. Um, it used to, its home used to belong to uh, Three Jaws, uh, who was driven away and almost killed by the Great Serpent. Here you can see a picture of him, a giant cobra. And uh, you can find, there's a couple plot hooks that involve him. Uh, his worshippers are all dead. Uh, they were killed by the Pale Ones who worship a, a giant spider who we'll get to. And yeah, that's, you know, you, you can find a giant... Uh, giant snake skin as well that kind of puts you on his trail, yeah. So here if we get to Gaujai the Devastator. Uh, he is awake and active. He's a T-Rex with a laser eye. Basically. Um, he was on the back cover. I can uh, hold that up for you again. That's, that's Gaujai the Devastator. Um... And these things are all statted, by the way. So, yeah, there's, there's stats for these things. Um, he has a cult. Sons of the Demon. Uh, Delruk Tamul. They worship Gaujai. They pluck out one of their eyes, or they pluck out their left eye to, to mimic the fact. He's a, he's a laser-eyed Cyclops T-Rex. Uh, who you can encounter, you encounter his cult. Uh, he can destroy a large uh, rope bridge across a major chasm. And from here you get to uh, Grulok, the god ape. A two-headed King Kong, essentially. He's around... Um, this is the only beast that's native to the island, or at the very least, he was the first one there. He has a, uh, he has a cult of his own. Uh, they're kind of the, the oldest cult And 
and uh, the the leaders of these cults are like giant barbarians, basically. Think uh, Umbaku from Black Panther, basically. The man ape. And so you can you can find him there. Um, the terror from the deep, also known as. Uh, I guess that's clickety-clack. Clickety-clack. Basically clickety-clack. The terror from the deep. But if you call him clickety-clack at your table, just, you know, be warned. He's around. He's also like, look at that. Look, Just look at that. That's gorgeous. It's terrifying, but that's... That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous work. Look at that detail. And he's a, he's a giant crab, not spider. He's a giant crab. Um, he's down in the seabed, so he's off the coast. You might run into him on the way in. Uh, he has a cult. Or he doesn't have an organized cult, but there are humans. Um... Uh, you know, shipwrecked people kind of worship him and, and revere him since, you know, he probably caused it. He's got his own set of plot hooks here. Uh, then there's Melmoth the Ghost Spider. No one knows where he is. Uh, he's a, you know, giant spider, basically. Uh, but he kind of goes back and forth between dimensions, which is interesting. Uh, he doesn't really have a layer, uh, so he can kind of just pop in and out. Uh, you can you can use that to uh, to mess with your players. His cult is the Pale Ones. Um, they like paint themselves completely white, stain their lips red with spider venom, uh, which disfigures them obviously, and they. Like, they, they poison people and, and put them in cocoons. Then there's Three Jaws. Um, Three Jaws is not dead, but he is uh, in hibernation. He was run out by the serpent, if you remember. He has the smallest cult because he's asleep. Um, and they like to live underground. Then you have Umagung, the worm that waits. That's terrifying. Um, wow. And again, I've. Levi showed me a lot of this art before uh, this book came. Le Levi. Levi and I messaged back and forth a lot, uh, so he showed me a lot of this. And I remember seeing this, and I was like, that is a terrifying image. Th yeah, that's... Again, the detail. The detail on that is just magnificent. Every different texture 
looks like a different texture. The teeth, the scales, the underbelly. It's gross. It's one of those things that like gives you chills when you look at it. It is asleep. Don't wake it up. For the love of God. He has some insane devotees. Uh, they're the worm wives. They're all female. Um, they paint themselves gray. And the quote-unquote blessed members are infested with carnivorous parasitic worms that eventually eat away at their bodies. Ugh, this is just unsettling. Oh my... Ugh. Gross. And they capture people and feed them to their god. Although most of them don't get fed. Uh, because they're mostly fed to the they're mostly fed to the worms. Uh, the other worms, the parasitic worms that they just keep around. And they are directly aligned with the doomsayers of Crocthul. The other ones are opposed to them. The other ones you can reason with and, and potentially make allies. These guys are no, 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 no. Then you have the doomsayers themselves. They came from another dimension. They are the descendants of the Crocthul. Uh, no one knows anything about them. Uh, you can collect lore on them once you get to uh, the island itself, because you can go to the Place Beyond the Veil or the Black Oracle of Thon. You can find them in like you know temple ruins and stuff like that. You can find out about them, uh, and find out that they are descendants of the Noctoth, and they were transformed into evil beings of entropy and madness after being exiled to another dimension. And yeah, they are basically leathery skeletons with. Spiny backs. And they are led by uh, this, you know, the walker, the shaper, the beast, and the fiddler. The fiddler we've already talked about. He's the herald. He's the silver surfer to their Galactus. Uh, then there's the waker. He's kind of the de facto leader. Uh, you know, he, he's driving force behind uh, bringing forth the kaiju. He attends to the Doom Gyre and leads the ritual of the Hungering Maw when the time comes to summon forth kaiju. Uh, so you find him at the Doom Gyre. The Shaper assists him in the ritual of the Hungering Maw and he is the keeper of the giant sphere of annihilation that the doomsayers whisper their prophecies of doom to. Uh, so he's kind of, uh, he's in the volcano for the most part. He's a, you know, big major spellcaster. And then the beast is the enforcer. 
So as soon as you start causing trouble on the island, uh, you'll, you'll probably encounter the beast. So keep that in mind, DMs and players. And then here we get to the Doom Gyre. It's this giant cog from hell, literally. Stolen from the engine of hell itself. And it allows the Doomsayers to boost the power of the island's dimensional nexus to unprecedented levels. And their goal is to keep these portals open permanently so that these monstrosities, the, the kaiju and more, will you know, move in. So these kaiju are from other dimensions and this doom gyre spins and they, you know, perform a ritual to pull these monsters in. So that's where these monsters came from, except with the possible exception of the two-headed ape. Maybe. And they use this to, you know, summon and control the beasts um, and every time they use it, it sends a ripple across the mortal plane. Uh, so that's where, you know, these visions are coming from. It's, it's the, it's the magical overflow of the doom gyre, uh, which they obviously don't care about because they're trying to bring about the end times as well. And so they've got, you know, basically some control over these, uh, you know, these kaiju that are there. Um, and there's kind of like a major uh, three-headed dragon, uh, Dramodorak, which they've only successfully summoned once, who's, you know... He's bad news. Like, if he shows up, you're screwed. Basically. Um, dimensional Nexus, Nexes will open uh, where ley lines cross. Um, sometimes creatures will come through. Um, and sometimes those will be kaiju. So, yeah. This is a, uh, you know, this leads us into like a mon wandering monster table. Uh, you know, it's, it's a d20 table. You can roll and see kind of what comes through. It could be anything from giant vampire bats, uh, spawns of Melmoth, doomsayers themselves, dinosaurs, obviously, giant megapedes, uh, giant mantises, entropy moth. All kinds of craziness here. And then from here we get into some of these locations that your players can explore. There's the uh, the Cove of Mists, um, which is home to some volcanic vents. Uh, there's rumors of sunken treasure, but, you know, beds of coral, all kinds of things that can just wreck a ship. Um... 
So again, it's, you know, explore at your own risk. There's a wandering monster table for this place in particular. Um, then there are the, uh, let's see, Thousand Horns, which are, you know, white cliffs and curious spires all over the place. Uh, not really something to explore. They're just, they're around. Then there's the Pale Wood, the Wood of Ghosts. Um, this is the home of Melmoth's Cult. So, uh, yeah. Tread carefully. Then there's the Black Oracle of Thuln. Um, which is a obelisk. And if you sleep under it, uh, you can get omens. Kind of uh, prophetic dreams. And, you know, it's, it's D100 to see what effect it has on you. Here, there's the Bay of Bones uh, on the east edge of the island. The Valley of Claws, which is a jungle valley. Um, it has its own encounter table. The Bleached Lands, uh, which is just kind of a desolate... It used to be a marshland, but it's, you know, just blasted now. All kinds of crazy, unpredictable weather and stuff like that. Um, cave paintings of Noctoth. Uh, you can encounter some of these. There's a table here to see kind of what you learn from them. Uh, the Mire of Worms. Basically are worms feeding on the innards of the island. And this is a living extinction event. Um, the remains of Yurthrak the Terrible. Which is the Skullcano itself. Um, which is sitting on top of a volcano. So the volcano itself is not the skull, but the skull is sitting on top of the volcano. And so these bones are still there, even thousands of years after he died. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, the magic of his remains that made the volcano active again. Um, and so his bones are still there, and these giant wasps have built... Uh, layers inside them and are like feeding on his flesh so they have all of these different effects um, that you can encounter uh, anything that's eaten kaiju meat you roll a d8 here um, and if the players eat kaiju flesh um, it's a DC 18 constitution saving throw, and if they fail, they take 8d6 poison damage or 28 poison damage, and they're poisoned for an hour. So 
If you kill one of the kaiju, maybe don't eat it. But again, don't tell your players that. Just let them make the mistake. And from here we get into one of the first dungeons. This is the Crumbling Tower of Ung. I'm not going to spoil any of kind of what's going on here. Uh, it goes down deep into the ground. Um, I will let those of you who want to get this book, because I don't want to give away all the secrets here. Um, you guys can go through kind of um, all this stuff as far as these rooms and what's specifically in the magic items, all that. Uh, then there's the mountain layer of Hikrus, who is a cyclops, uh, which doesn't have its own dungeon, but still, you know, he, he has a layer and stuff um, with all kinds of loot. Covered up by a stone, and he's guarding it. Then there is the ruins of a mecha kaiju, so a giant... The ruins of a giant robot. A robot. If you are Murray Goldberg or Levi. This is a dungeon. And does have a map. And it's awesome. So yeah, you can basically find a giant robot in the middle of your fantasy campaign. Uh, so yeah, that that's that is an option. <laughs> then there are the landlocked ruins of Tashara's Wink. Uh, which a hundred years ago the ship uh, was washed into the interior of the island, you can find the remains. And you can find an <laughs> the pulsating egg of the monster from Planet X. It's an unhatched kaiju egg. It has a 50% chance of hatching. Um, and if it hatches, it basically hatches a, a purple worm. Um... It has the stats of a purple worm with 390 hit points. So yeah, uh, if you're not careful around this thing, it has a 50-50 chance of hatching, and it can do some damage. And it can sustain 10 points of damage before um, it cracks open and the same thing happens. So... You know, basically, you might want to leave this thing alone. Just, you know, to be on the safe side. Then there's the Chasm of Uldraken. Which is known as the Maw. It is a crevasse. Which houses uh, invertebrate creatures, basically giant insects, all this crazy stuff you can see here, yeah. If you are afraid of bugs, welcome to your nightmare. Then 
And there's all kinds of, you know, there's a table here, D100 table. 50-50 chance that you're spared. Uh, nothing showing up. But, you know, again, that's a 50-50 chance. And there's the Black Lake of Devil Mud Men. The Sentinel of uh, Vito Borse. Anyone who is uh, familiar with uh, Sean Connery's filmography will recognize this. Giant stone head. And basically, you can get inside this thing. Like, there, there's a way to see if you can command it. You have to make a wisdom saving throw and take damage. Um, if you fail, if you succeed, then you can pilot the thing. And there's all kinds of things here. So it, it's basically a spaceship. Um, and you can decide where it is. And there's the place beyond the veil, or the place beyond the veil, which is you know kind of their, you know, the realm of the dead. You can find out information about the doomsayers there. And you can't uh, unless you have a find the path spell or its equivalent. You can't know where the place beyond the veil is. You basically have to find it by accident. And if you attack a tree, the place beyond the veil, it becomes a treant. So, 10d6 treants. So, yeah. <sighs> Careful there. Then you have the Forbidden Caves of the Black Doom. Don't go in there. Or maybe do. There could be treasure in there. Who knows? And this is where you learn that like, the Doom Gyres basically subdued this thing because it's unstoppable. Um, <laughs> Levi even mentions that if this thing is unleashed upon the island, It's this is uh, the, the end of the campaign. So, yeah. If, you re if your players really screw the pooch... Um, then this oozy venom symbiote black pudding corrosive grossness will just descend upon the island. Goo falls, everyone dies. So yeah. There's other kind of random areas that you can find here, mini locations. Um... All that stuff. And then there's... This is just a 1d20 table of... Uh, things you can do to, like... Give the island a little bit more life. 
let players know kind of what they're in for. <clears throat> There's some spiders. And then the Skullcano. This is another uh, dungeon as well. Kind of an explanation of what all's in here. Again, I won't spoil what all's in here. Um, you, you can encounter, at this point, a lot of the Doomsayers. And this is kind of like, you know, you... This is kind of the um, the end point of the campaign going in here. You can walk in there at the very beginning if you're suicidal, but you know this is this is where you find the doom gyre, the waker, the shaper. You know the, this is where you find them. This is the the kind of end point of the campaign here. And from here we get into the appendices, uh, which, you know, the aftermath here explains, you know, if you win or lose, what happens. If the Doomslayers lose control of the Doom Gyre and remain on the island, the Black Doom is released, and yeah, again. And there's some spells here. Uh, these are all high-level spells. And cantrips. There's there's cantrips here, too. But this is a lot of stuff to kind of, you know, flesh out what the Doomsayers can do and, and stuff like that. So there's some cool, crazy stuff that you can find here. Magic items. Uh, this, you know, mentions the Doom Gyre, the Doomsayer's Fiddle. Um... There's a couple other things here. Nexus Pearl. And then here we get into the bestiary, which is going to be a place that a lot of you are going to want to live because, dude, giant monsters. How could you not? You've got some, some cultists statted here too. Uh, the Cyclops, some dinosaurs. You can use stuff from like the Monster Manual too, but you could pretty much use this uh, without um, opening the Monster Manual at all and just use the craziness that's in here. Although some of the tables I'm sure do, actually for sure, those tables do rely on Monster Manual uh, monsters, so... You know, keep that in mind. Here's the stats for the Fiddler. Um, 19 armor class, 221 hit points, CR 16. He's not impossible to kill, uh, but he's, you know, he's he's hard to kill. Like Steven Seagal. Then you've got some of the uh, the kaiju are also stated here. You've got uh, Gutrak, the Rage of the Deep. Actually, this is not one of the kaiju. Sorry, 
That's my bad. The kaiju are statted here, though. We'll get through. They might all be in the same place. Or I might have gone completely past them. The Grand Doomsayers of Crocthul. If I see one of them, I will stop. And, uh... We can take a look at what some of the kaiju do. And here you've got, you know, stat, here's the Shaper stats. Um, CR 13, so... Not as, uh, not as bad as it might be. Uh, Spawn of Melmoth, basically a giant spider. Swarms. Three jaw cultists. The Waker. CR 14. Here are the kaiju. The Black Doom. CR 30. 717 hit points. Completely immune to acid, cold, lightning, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. Uh, so fire damage is your friend. Fire damage and magical attacks. If you think you can kill the Black Doom. I'm assuming this is one of those things where... Uh, if you let your players kill the Black Doom, you might be DMing it wrong. But, you know. Gallimaw. All these things are like crazy. These are all like Tarasks on steroids. With like, you know, five to seven hundred hit points. Um, even more, like, Gaojai has eight hundred. So, like, if you want to do it... Let's see what that laser blast does here. Let's see. Let's see here. Um, 180-foot line, 10 feet wide, DC 22 dex save, or you take 16 D10 fire damage. Or half on a successful one. So, yeah. Keep that in mind. Gerlock. Not... As bad as the last one. Um, even Melmoth is statted here. Three jaw. If for some reason he wakes up. Umagung. And then here we have a nice uh, sketchbook. Uh, you know, see some of the stuff. The Doomsayers by Ed Bickford. Um, Carl Sternberg's sketch of the interior ruins of the Mecha Kaiju. Uh, this is a stretch goal thing. Uh, so, you know, Ed Bickford did a, a close-up of the Doomsayers. Uh, some Kaiju cultists here. And here you can see some of Adrian's sketches as well. The ruins of the Mecha Kaiju, the shipwreck. Um, 
Chris Carmen did the Fiddler. Some other sketches here. And then there's an Appendix F, which talks about the influences. Um, so here, you know, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, books, comics, monster flicks, RPGs, and adventures. And then uh, there's some music here as well. So... You know, obviously Edgar Rice Burroughs and uh, Robert E. Howard are very influential on this. You know, you can see some of this in Tales to Astonish, Journey into Mystery. Um, Godzilla and King Kong, Gorgo, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, The Lost World, uh, Zardoz, obviously. All kinds of crazy stuff here. There's some great... This is great, like a, a playlist... For this um a lot of this stuff's heavier so i understand why he didn't put that in there um because it might not fit just sound wise but the fact that you have a kaiju uh playlist here levi and you didn't put godzilla by blue oyster called on there maybe it's too obvious but still you know that's that's at least the song that plays over the credits in my opinion. And then down here you've got, you know, The Isle of Dread by David Cook and uh, Tom Moldvay, The Isle of the Ape by Gary Gygax, and one of uh, Casey's adventures as well. You know, you've got that there. So yeah, there's all kinds of uh, cool stuff back here in the Appendix F. If I ever run this, I might put some of this stuff on in the background as far as these, because these are all great songs. Uh, you know, Raining Blood, From the Belt Holes, Black Sabbath. Yeah, that's great. I like that. And then just, you know, some crazy stuff, like, <laughs> like the back matter of comics. This is all great. The insult that made a man out of Throngor. <laughs> Just like those old uh, Atlas uh, workout ads. I love it. And then there's some custom character sheets back here. Which look amazing. OGL information. And the back cover here with that wonderful... We're just going to like blow that up real big so y'all can see it. I'll, I'll center it here. Just to just to make it real real nice and clear for you. Let's make sure that's that's good there. That lovely, lovely uh Adrian Landeros picture there. And Elfie, to speak to your uh To speak to your thing about cults wanting to save the world, plunge it into 10,000 years of light, love, and kindness. We don't call those cults. Cult uh, by itself is just kind of a, uh, a negative connotation. So there's that. But, you know, I digress. Anyway, that is Escape from Skullcano Island. Uh, done and dusted. So, final thoughts. Uh, like I said at the top of this episode... 
Sorry, just looking at my phone there. Like I said at the top of this episode, this is a great adventure. If you have a party of ultimate badasses, uh, high-level characters who just want to keep things going, uh, you know, maybe you want to lead uh, from Ghost of Salt Marsh into something else uh, and kind of keep that same flavor. Uh, you know, you, you like monster movies or you just want something crazy to, you know, screw with your players and, and try out some powerful uh, high-level stuff. Escape from Skullcano Island. That'll do it. That'll do it. So, yeah. That is it for tonight's episode. Thank you guys for uh, for staying on here with me as we go through this uh, go through this particular tome and uh, you know hear a little bit about what all can be found on Skullcano Island and what all can kill you there. So yeah, once again, Planet X Games knocks it out of the park. Fantastic book, highly recommend it. Maybe someday I'll get to run it for my players. I should probably make that a priority. In fact, what I might do, because I have Salt Marsh, if I ever get the chance to do like a big, huge campaign with a whole bunch of people, and I don't necessarily want to write my own stuff, um, I think what I'll do is Salt Marsh into Skullcano Island. And that seems like a good natural progression there. And the game at level 20, all that good stuff. So yeah, uh, bye bye bye. That is my recommendation for Escape from Skullcano Island. It's awesome, the artwork's great. Uh, it's crazy, it's off the wall, but it can also be used at pretty much anyone's gaming table. So yeah, keep that in mind. Uh, if you are off put by some of the like, some of the influences that Levi wears on his sleeve, the grindhouse aesthetic, uh, you know, the Godzilla influences. Uh, keep in mind, with Planet X games, that stuff is all there. It's present. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be Levi's work without it. But Levi does write his adventures so that people who aren't as into that stuff can still use them. And this one's especially the case... Um, since it's not relying so heavily on a UFO crash. Uh, so if you want like an entry point into what this game has or what Planet X has to offer, uh, this might be it for you. This might be the one that you want to look at. So yeah, like Elfie just said, it ain't no lie. Bye, 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 bye. There we go. An in sync reference. That's that's what I was looking for in, in this episode. An in sync reference. But you know what? I I took the bait, so it's on me just as much as it's on Elfie. Anyway, that's it for uh you know tonight's show. Thank you guys for tuning in here uh this Saturday morning at um nine AM same time we would usually do Danishes and Dragons. I'm going to be doing a painting stream. I'll be painting Gutterbird from Season 2 of Knights and Nerds. I've got a mini for him. Uh, so all of you who are Knights and Nerds fans, all of you who uh, you know like miniature painting, definitely stop on by. 
the camera quality is going to be a hell of a lot better this time, so you'll be able to see what I'm actually doing. Uh, so I'm super pumped for that. I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. So guys, thank you once again for tuning in. And remember, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, uh, whether the Black Doom overtook your party or you were able to overthrow the Doomsayers, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.